podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Whistleblowers is back for the final stretch of a gruelling season. Today, we'll be talking about all the games from the weekend just gone, including Man City effectively winning the league title with a chillingly professional display at Everton, Arsenal doing that classic Spurs thing of forgetting how to play like Arsenal, and we say a sad goodbye to Southampton, the first club to be confirmed as relegated. All that plus more with me, Mark Smith, and Gareth Dobson. Gareth, hello. Well, hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You're a Spurs fan. Let's get that out of the way straight away. Yes. Uh, pretty good weekend for you then. Uh, if you're a very myopic Spurs fan, but I think even the most generous of spirited would have, uh, you know, breathed a little sigh of relief. Yeah, that's fair to say. You can be bitter on here. You can be small minded on it. I am every week. Thanks. I, well, it, it's, I, I try to hide it for the uh, interest of balance, but... You know, it, it does feel like a bit of equilibrium in North London has been restored. Everyone's a bit sad. Yeah, I think that's the best place to start, though, this week. Um, we'll talk about Man City in a minute, although I don't think there's that much to talk about with them. I think it's just sort of a, a terrifying procession with them in the last two months of every season. Uh, so let's start with Arsenal instead. Uh, they, I'm not going to say they bottled it. We talked about this loads of times over the last six weeks. They haven't bottled anything. They're up against a horrible nightmare in Man City. But they have shown that they've got players that don't quite have the experience in these big, big pressure games. And ultimately, they've dropped too many points in the last five weeks. Uh, is that something that they'll be worried about for next season? Do you think they're already starting to build for next season? Or do you think this could be a case of players being mentally scarred from this yeah, over the next sort of six to 12 months? It's really hard to tell. And... I know that's not the uh, the most helpful of answers. I think that, um, I mean, the, these players have over exceeded expectations, and if if they yeah. if they can build on this, then then you know that they'll they'll be in good stead. But there's always that suspicion that when you really sort of climb the heights one year, then the next year that it's 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 going to be that much harder. I mean, you you kind of assume that a lot of the players. Um, played to their optimum level, people like Shaka. Um, mm-hmm. If he can do that again, I'd be, I'd be quite surprised. I I think there probably is some more to come from, from some of them. Saliba's growing into his his role and, you know, Gabriel Jesus, I think, can still be better, a bit more consistent, can stay fit. Um, it's really difficult. I, I, I genuinely don't know the answer to it. I mean, you've got Liverpool and Chelsea coming up, um, you would kind of expect, you know, if Manchester mm-hmm. United can continue the project as they love to say them it's it always seems to get harder every year uh my suspicion is that arsenal will not be in the top two next year but that's not a criticism that's just kind of accepting the way it is oh, the strength of the league is is ridiculous but also next season they will spend money in the summer i'm, I'm pretty sure about that and i'm sure they'll add quality arteta's strike rate has been pretty good really um but they have got to contend with Champions League football next year, which they haven't had to do this season, uh, which is obviously a, a blessing and a curse. Because I don't see... I think this Arsenal side are brilliant. We, we've talked about it all season. I think they're a really brilliant side. But I think there was a sense that five or six weeks ago, having talked to Arsenal fans and, and pundits or whatever, the feeling was that if they didn't do it this year, it might be a little wait again. Because like you yeah. say, the, the competition is so strong. And with Champions League football next season... It is. It's a real difficult one. Now, you mentioned Shaka a second ago. Where he's somebody that you would imagine could be upgraded on reasonably 
not easily, but it, it seems like a more straightforward thing. His his ceiling isn't as high as some of the other players in that squad. So let's assume Shaka is is a given. Where else are you strengthening that that first team of Arsenal? Forget about the squad for a minute. The first team, probably. So agree with Xhaka. I I think that the other obvious one maybe is up front. Um, I think they could. I think they they probably aren't going to get anywhere further unless they can bring in a world class forward. Um, you don't think Jesus is that guy? No, I think he's a really, really good player and potentially a fantastic complementary player. But I think Arsenal kind of need that main man still. Um, you know, Gabriel. Why, why, why do you why do you think that though? Give, just just given that we've seen that Arteta is very much a disciple of Guardiola, and Guardiola won the league at least two seasons without a striker. Yeah, I mean, but with, with he, Jesus as the guy. No, but he was. I think he was constantly looking to. To upgrade or replace him, you know, Gabriel Jesus, um, you know, kind of played second figure fiddle to Aguero for. I, I think Guardiola tried as hard as he could to make Gabriel Jesus the pivotal player in that attack, and yeah, eventually, yeah. I think he just decided it wasn't it wasn't to be, and 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 he moved him on um, to Arsenal's to Arsenal's benefit. But I don't think he's the sort of player who's going to drag them on. I think he can take them to a certain level. Yeah, and also he's, he's got that issue with not a great bill of health. I mean, he's he's been out for a decent chunk of this season. He's missed quite large stretches of other seasons as well. And as plenty of teams have seen in the league this season, you, you need to have you need to have availability as a first team player. I mean, that sounds obvious. But when you look at the greatest players in history, you like the likes of Ronaldo and Messi, their availability is absolutely off the charts. They're never injured. They're never ill. They're always there. And and that's I think, you know, talk about consistency. That's the big one, isn't it? No, I agree. And I, I think, you know, there, there's, there's a fun saying in American sport, the best ability is availability. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, I, there, there is a strong element of truth. I mean, I think Man City have been quite blessed with with injuries this year. Haaland has has barely missed the game. He's been rest once. I think there was one game he was out this last month injured. Um, yeah. But even when you look at players like Grealish, they don't seem to have missed time. They seem to have, have come on Rodri. Um and Arsenal are gonna, like you said, that they're gonna be really stretched next year. Um and to rely on, you know, essentially it feels like four attackers, Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka and and uh, Gabriel Jesus was yeah, um, yeah. it got them through this year. It won't get them through next year, especially when your your backup is Enketia, who I think, you know, looks good in flashes, but is clearly not the the finished article. Yeah, Enketia is a good player. Likewise, Reese Nelson, good player. But yeah, you, you don't feel like they can just slot in seamlessly and, and maintain that standard, do you? Well, one of the players um, in that Brighton side that beat them so comfortably yesterday at the Emirates is uh, Saicedo. Caicedo? Saicedo? What, what are you going with? I'm going to go with Caicedo. Caicedo. All right. Didn't give you that option, but you've uh, you've gone off-piste. <laughs> um, I think he is a genuinely fantastic talent. I think... I know they're talking about a big price of 60, 70 million quid. I think he's worth it. He was very heavily linked with Arsenal in January and it led to him signing a new contract at Brighton. He's the sort of player I think could come in and revolutionise that midfield. Um, but And we'll talk about this later on, Brighton generally, but Brighton is such a well-run club. They have such foresight when it comes to recruitment, both at you know coach level 
manager level, player level, all across the club seems to be that they are specifically buying or recruiting players, managers, coaches who fit into the current system, right? In a way that most clubs aren't doing it. Brentford maybe do it a little bit, but Brighton do that specifically. And as we saw with Eve Basuma at your club, Spurs, he looked a million dollars, well, $45 million at Brighton. And yet, when you take a player like that, who's used to that system, has bought, been brought in for a specific reason, it doesn't just mean they're a good player that can play anywhere. And I think that there's a risk with this, or with all these Brighton players that are getting sort of hailed as the second coming. And Saicedo could just be another one of those, couldn't he? Albeit, let me just cl- clarify that by saying I do think he's a phenomenal player, and I think he maybe is a cut above everything else they've got. Yeah, it's... I mean, the other obvious one is the is is Cucurella who um, went to Chelsea and of course, and yeah, I forgot about him. It's 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 not it's not gone well for a million reasons. It's probably hard to judge him, but you know, clubs look at this and the counter argument is, but he could be Arcante, you know, yeah. who who excelled and looked so good at Leicester, was so good at Leicester, um, and Mares as well. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you know. It, it does work both ways. You know, these players, we can, when you put them in a better team, quote unquote, um, then they can push themselves to an even higher limit. And I, I guess that's the, that's the unknowable element of it all. And that's, that's the excitement when your player brings that in. You know, uh, when I, when I heard that Spurs were signing Eve Basuma, I was convinced he was the missing piece. Same. He was the last Same. bit of the puzzle. He's, yeah, and he might still be um, yep. next year. I, I think that he was one of those ones that didn't necessarily fit into Conte's view of what a a, a midfielder needed to be. But you know, it's already it's it's a big question mark, and they're very expensive. And I mean, I agree. I think Caicedo is a extremely good player who I think has now proved it maybe over a couple of seasons. Uh, someone like Matoma, who looks incredibly exciting and really fun, technically brilliant. I think you'd probably want to see it for another year at Brighton before you start whacking on the the massive price tags. But mm-hmm. you, know, it's, you do wonder if they'll come point, you know, if those two move on and they're not as good as they are for Brighton, will people start looking at Brighton going, well, maybe we shouldn't be paying the overinflated uh, costs for someone we're not incredibly sure is going to work out. Yeah, that's true. But should we talk about Brighton's performance yesterday? Did you see the game at Arsenal? Because for me, that was... One of the best performances I've seen of any side this season in the league. Certainly Brighton's best performance, and I've seen a lot of them this season, particularly given that it came straight after that 5-1 home loss to Everton. I thought everything they did yesterday, Brighton, was perfect. Just everything from front to back. I just cannot remember enjoying a team's performance as much as I did yesterday. And I'm sure you must have enjoyed it for other reasons, but just from a a football point of view, how, how impressed were you? I mean, they're, they're so good. I, I think maybe Arsenal was the perfect matchup for them. Um, yeah. A team they can essentially go toe-to-toe with. They both have systems, and it was almost like, okay, which system's going to work? Which which set of players is going to you know, carry out the instructions perfectly on the day? And it, it was Brighton. And I think that there's still a disconnect between us saying how good Brighton are and people, I think, actually realising quite how good they are. Um, mm. People will talk about I suspect, you know, in this very sort of polarised media world we live in, it's like, oh, when Arsenal absolutely, you know, lost it to Brighton, they they went there, they they screwed the pooch. And it's like, firstly, Arsenal um, lost it with that run of, uh, you know, draws Anfield, West Ham, and, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. going to City yeah. and not holding on. And it, it's it's definitely doing Brighton service. It's similar to, 
I'm going to surprise you here and bring it back to Spurs. When, when no. Spurs drew, um, when Spurs drew Chelsea two two, the Battle of the Bridge and and all that, and uh, you know, it's like, oh, Spurs imploded and lost the title that night. It's like Spurs had essentially lost the title before they went there, which is why they why it went know, mental. Apart, why they went mental. But yeah. it's a much cleaner narrative to pick out one game with a a, a slight eye popping either scoreline or, or, or series of situations. Like, well, that was the moment. Um, Unfortunately yeah. for Arsenal, they they lost the title before Brighton. That was probably the sign of a team sort of just being like, you know what, we're this is the moment. Happen. We know what the moment today. was. It was it was Shaka squaring up to Trent at, at Liverpool, tuning him up and kicking like him off, fighting door style. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, I, think the, I mean, I can see. I, I think we'd probably do a reboot of that film, and <laughs> I don't think I think Shaka could do it. I think he could do I, it. I think I think he's got the chops. Yeah, I think he has. Look, I think Brighton were brilliant, and I think that Deserby. We'll get onto Deserby after the break, but Deserby, the bravery he showed in being one nil up at the Emirates. Bearing in mind, it's it's a high pressure game for Brighton as well because they're still in the hunt for for European football, and for him to make the sort of offensive uh, substitutions that he did, I think a lot of managers. I'd say you know half the managers in the league, three quarters of them maybe, would have gone right. We, you know, we've got to defend this now. And would have brought on a midfielder to shore things up. And instead, he takes off, uh, he brings on Undav and he takes off, uh, I can't think of who it was now, but he, he didn't go into the trap that so many people fall into of bringing on a defensive midfielder, making everyone sit 10 yards deeper, and just inviting pressure at the Emirates with half an hour left. And I found that so yeah. impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that even though he's only been there for a relatively short amount of time, I think it shows a manager who understands his players and the makeup of his squad. They they're not a particularly brilliant defensive outfit, and it's like, well, why you know push all your uh, chips into the inside of the table, marked hang on for dear life, when you realise what you've got as an attacking entity, and be like, okay, well, let's let's go with what suits us. But but again, I, yes, of course, Deserbi is doing a great job, but it, but it also speaks to the recruitment in that club. Because he's not been there very long. You're right. He took over from Potter, who'd done a great job. But recruitment has gone and got a manager who they know can fit in with those players and play a style of football that suits them. It's not a it's not a coincidence. It's this is all part of a much broader plan, I think, that Brighton have and are doing it beautifully. And again, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this after the break, but for the same reasons as Basuma going to Spurs didn't quite work out, Deserbi could be another Potter at another club. You know, we don't know. We have got no idea. As great as it looked yesterday, and as brave as those subs were, and the tactical tweaks were brilliant, it's because it's geared towards this hole. They see they see things much more clearly, much more as a, you know, they're zooming out and having a proper look, and they're not just pulling the trigger on. They've got, I can imagine at Brighton and at Brentford and a few other clubs, they've got you know two, three, four, five year plans, ten year plans, and you look at other clubs, your club being one of them, I think Man United being another one, I think Chelsea certainly being one of them. Who have not got a fucking clue, Gareth? They, they are they are living day to day. No, absolutely. They they have one or two year plans, and they pay lip service to this idea that they're looking long term, but medium term at best. I mean, realistically, if uh, if Manchester United were sitting seventh right now, I think there'd be a lot of speculation about. Oh, maybe it's time to move on. You know, they they bought a manager who you know who's come from a lower league. They tried it. They need to. But and you know, if next season United are a fifth or even fourth again, those, those you know, drum beats will start up again. And Brighton, I think, uh, as well as being brilliantly run, as, as well as having long-term vision, are in that sweet spot right now where they're 
punching above their weight, but also they're not quite at that point where there's a level of expectation to go on, keep push on, push on. You can do better, right? You need to make the big move now. This is it. And if they repeat this next year, if they even, you know, let's say they're sitting fifth or sixth and really looking at Champions League football next year, then it'll be interesting to see whether the hand stays as steady, whether they, you know, they double down to chuck in another poker analogy or, or, or whether they just say, this is our lot in life and we absolutely love it. I feel like they are very, very self-aware. They know what they are as a club, i.e. they're not going to be competing with Chelsea, United, Liverpool, Man City, whatever. And I think they realise that they can trust their recruitment to such an extent that they can just be a selling club. And it's not going to affect necessarily the way that they can progress. Anyway, we're overrunning. Uh, We'll take a break, after which we'll talk about Man City and the relegation scrap, which has taken its first scalp. See you in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to The Whistleblowers. It's me, Mark Smith, alongside Gareth Dobson. Gareth, we've talked about Arsenal. You're obviously delighted by that. Let's talk about Man City. Let's keep it brief, though, because I feel like there's... I don't think there's that much to say about City, to be honest. Uh, Did you watch the game against Everton? I watched until the first goal went in. And at that point, it's... Well, firstly, I had to do some chores. But you you know what's going to happen. What chores did you have to do? I did a very late uh, mowing of the lawn. Yeah, so did I. I did it. I reckon it was at the same time as you. I did it in the second half of that game. Just, just two of us pacing up and down our lawn like a sort of mechanized version of Roy Keane with tricks. Yeah, it's just dad chat. This is dad FM, and I'm <laughs> proud of it. But I think a lot of people were doing the lawn at that point because once Man City go a goal up, I, I, I know this is wrong because we've been proven wrong in the past. But they are so good at keeping hold of their leads, especially in this last five or six weeks of the season. I don't I don't feel like I was going to miss too much. I caught up later on, of course I did, but I just felt so confident. I wonder what it's like supporting a team that you can be that confident in. It, I mean, I, there's probably an entire 12-part series on what it is to be a, a Man City fan. I think they, they get a lot of pelters, maybe not being the most passionate fans of the world, but if you're sitting there every week and your team just... Um, you're going to get spoiled. Yeah. It's not your fault. You're going to get spoiled, and it's it must be fun. It's you know actually, I'm not sure it's fun. I think it might be grimly satisfying. I remember you know in that period where Spurs were pushing hard at the top of the table, I, you stopped kind of in relishing each victory as this hard fought thing. You're like, okay, we won, great, right? What's the next fixture? We got to win the next yeah, one. It's just relief. It's only ever and relief. There's no enjoyment. Yeah, it's like it's and 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 that's kind of. Yeah, and I know Owo is another 90-year-old football club. I, I, I love in that position, but it is it is a strange thing how quickly things things change. When you are a team that wins consistently, you become more afraid of losing than you are excited by winning. Uh, is Ilkay Gundogan the best, I'm going to use an, an American expression here like you did earlier in the first half, is he the best clutch player in the league? I love the clutch. I feel like he 
in big games, big moments, certainly at the business end of the season, he becomes another player entirely. He's he's scored crucial goals every season for the last five, six seasons. And and the game against Everton on uh, on Sunday, another perfect example of that. He's, I mean, I think we forget quite how long he's been there as well. He was one of Guardiola's first kind of recruits. You know, he clearly brought him in because he felt that he understood the requirements of of his game. And he's been, he has been consistent. He probably is now averaging, what, maybe less than 20 league games a season. But he, he seems to have these major contributions. He had that incredible spell, was it two, three years ago, where he was probably their best player that year and weighed in with a crazy amount of goals, especially yeah. from midfield. But I think he's going to move on in the summer. That's certainly what it sounds like. Is his contract up, perhaps? And Contract's up, yeah. I think they'll be mad to let up. him go. Yeah. Pay the guy I mean, what he wants. Pay him what he wants. And just like you say, play him 20 games a season. Play him the important games. And maybe the most astonishing thing is that, I mean, he almost lost his career to like two years of injuries. Yeah. And there, there's also, you know, when he, was at, when he was at Dortmund and, you know, I mean, potentially he is as good as he was ever meant to be, but potentially he could have been an even better player or we missed some of his, uh, his early prime. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think one of the things with this Man City side that gets overlooked is the the mental fortitude they have. They 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 are not they're not worried about going into the trenches with teams if they have to. You know, they've got these three or four, five centre backs now. One of whom John John Stone's now playing central midfield, unbelievably, and doing a great job of it. But they've got defenders who want to defend. Um. Akanji's been great this season. Ake's been really good when he's played. Laporte, we know about him. We know about Diaz. They have got a stable of unbelievable centre-backs. And when you compare them to what we saw with Arsenal and the uh, the uh, Kiwior... Is that how you say it? I'm not entirely sure. Let's go with Kiwior for now. Yeah. But what he... I mean, that that what he did for the first goal against Brighton, I just can't imagine Man City, any Man City player doing that. And I know this makes me sound like Graham Souness or Roy Keane, but you can't be on the floor holding your ankle when there's an attack above your head. You can't. The only way that you get away with that if you if you've got a serious injury. And for my money, if I if I've done what Kiwior did there and they've scored, there is no chance I'm going to be seen sprinting in the next ten minutes. I'm going to be on the floor for as long as it takes to get an air ambulance out. And then I'm going to pretend I'm badly injured for the rest of the season. Because that is, to me, completely humiliating. And I don't think you, you get that with any Man City player. You missed, uh, you missed the phrase, in our league. <laughs> Men. In our it. league. That, that's <laughs> not acceptable. You cannot have that. No, but I agree. And I, I think that it's that no matter how old they are or how many games they've played, everyone at Man City seems like seasoned footballers, experienced. Absolutely. They understand what's required. Like you said, I, I think there is a still to them that, you know, I think because they're seen as this very technically gifted team and they, you know, um, I don't want to say ticky-tacker, but there you go. Uh, it's just like that, you, you equate that with being a bit soft or a bit like, yeah, oh, right. it goes that easily. But, you know, they, they're a pretty complete football team. Um, I also they think can all they mix it up. Be... They can all mix it up. Sorry, go on. And the way they enjoy, like, you know, Jack Grealish gets kicked more than any other footballer in, in our league. Um, <laughs> but I think that... Um, and I think they'll show that because my my suspicion is is that they're going to win the Champions League this year as well. Big shout! 
Yeah, but why not? I mean, why not? There's there's no reason why not. And listen, we 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 know where we stand on all the off-field issues. I think I think we're both on the same page with that. And I think at some point it will all come to light and they'll get the deductions or get whatever. But from a purely football point of view, they are an unbelievable side. And, and like you say, they can do it all. Even their tiny, tiny little players, even Bernardo Silva, he's a little shit. And that's what I want. Shit. That's what I want. You need him to of be course. like that. You don't and have he's anyone one in that there. fans love the most. It's always yeah, the ones with the edge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's the City loving finished for this week. I'm sure we'll talk about them again next week. In the meantime, though, let's talk about the other end of the table. Southampton, a team that I think we both quite like, have finally succumbed to relegation. Um, why has it happened now, Gareth? Talk me through it. Uh, a disastrous mid-season manager's change. Uh, not okay. necessarily that they made the change, but to whom they made it to. And then I think the biggest issue is they decided to go for this very callow, youthful set of signings that, you know, I'm sure they convinced us oh, we're going to sign all these sort of really exciting prospects and bring a couple of uh, Man City youth players in and, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to we're gonna be Brighton. Um, they've kind of been a semi-prototype Brighton for a long time. You know, you could argue that they've lasted longer in the Premier League than anyone bringing in this idea of bringing players through, selling them on, changing managers yeah, yeah, fairly yeah. quickly, having a system. Um, very successful. Very successful on on balance, but also I think it shows that how precarious this idea is because you have one one set of wrong moves over you know one to two seasons, and then suddenly you look at your team like, what is this collection of players? And unfortunately, I, I think that's that's kind of where Southampton are. They that the recruitment, which has generally been good and solid, just ran out of steam for a couple of years. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you look at the players they've got there, and I think there are three, four, maybe five players that will be picked up immediately by teams, obviously above Southampton, because they're bottom of the league. But, you know, 13th, 12th upwards even. I think they've got some really, really good individuals. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't help when you have three managers in the season, one of whom is absolutely out of his depth immediately. The first one of which, and Hassan Hootl, who maybe had a bit too much control over stuff behind the scenes at the club. So when he goes, there's just a huge vacuum to fill. But there are players there that I think can can be really excellent Premier League players for a long time to come. I mean, that would be my concern for Southampton is that I don't see the likes of Lavia, Ward-Prowse, Bella Kotchap, even people like Suleimana staying. I think they're going to be off straight away, uh, which leaves you with a pretty skeletal first-team side um, yeah, they'll have some money, some parachute payments, and they're still a big club, so they'll have more money than most in the championship. But as we've seen before, it's not an easy division to get out of, certainly not first time round. No, I agree. I, I think there'll be one. Of the, sometimes you see teams go down and they start the first game of the next season. You're like, oh, that's the team that went down. Yeah, they actually look quite good on paper here, and I think they might be quite a different looking side. I mean, probably the big question is where James Ward-Prowse will go if he goes, but you know, from a player who... I think you thought might have been a Southampton lifer as long as they're in the Premier League. It does bring up a nice question. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think anyone would begrudge him leaving the club. He's he's no. he's been brilliant for them. But he is what he's twenty eight, twenty nine now. Mm-hmm. He is still certainly in his mind and in my mind a a player that could be in the England squads coming up. Could could get a, a Euros under his belt. Um, and I don't think you can do that in the Championship. So. 
I think he probably will leave. And I think there's there's big, big teams that could do them. I'm looking at the likes of uh, Liverpool. I'm looking at the likes of Chelsea, even. There are big teams that I think could do with a Ward-Prowse in their side, or certainly in their squad. Would you take him at Spurs? Um, yes, just not just because, but in part because Spurs are fairly light in the centre of centre of midfield. Would he start um, for Spurs he, currently? I think he would. Um, maybe. I I think Hoiberg's had a very good year and Benton Kerr when he comes back is our best midfielder. But right now he might he might he might start. Um I mean to me James Ward Prowse screams Aston Villa. Like yeah. it just seems fated. Yeah, yeah. That's but, that's um, a good shout. Yeah. West Ham? I'm thinking West I'm thinking Ham, of and West Blue, Ham, Aston Villa. Yeah you are. Burnley. Well, you know, very attractive uh, football team these days. Probably yeah. could be enticed by the uh, words and management of uh, of Vincent Company. I've no, I don't think I've ever seen a a team change their sort of style of play and their aesthetic as quickly as Burnley. Like I RuPaul's say, Drag Race. I was going to say it's like a leopard turn up at a, a, a disco in tiger stripes. You, you just don't expect it. Just don't expect it. Um, let's wrap up. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, talking about the remaining uh, relegation spots. You said beforehand you think it's probably two from three teams. So talk me through it. Well, I mean, this is this is purely just math, but um, math. I think Forest, who are 16th, you know, uh, they're only three points out of the relegation zone, but I think they've done enough because with two games left for... Leeds and Everton. I'm not sure Ivan will get the two, the two or three points needed to overtake. Who Forest. Have Forest got in their final two? Forest in their final two, I believe, have some interesting fixtures. One, one being Arsenal, and one being Crystal Palace. Palace away. They could finish that with zero points. They could. I think. I think Dimob Happy uh, Crystal Palace will give them at least a point. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and where do you see Leeds picking up any more points now? I mean. Everton have shown last week that, uh, at Brighton that they can be a devastating team on the break. Leeds could absolutely... Oh. I, I think West Ham and then Spurs, I mean, that could be anywhere between zero and six points. I know that is literally the case, given that's mm. how football works, but... Very I mean, fascinating insight. Everton, who will be you know coming off a uh, Europa conference game, and Spurs, who, I mean... Uh, well, if you if you saw if you saw West Ham um, in the game against Brentford on Sunday, they are one hundred percent on the beach. They're yeah. not interested in the league. On the they're league just beach. looking yeah. on the yeah. They're now just looking at the Europa. Fair enough. I mean, they're they're safe. They're now wanting to win a trophy. I completely get it. As long as they get through their next leg, they are going to just be hanging out for the rest of the Premier League season. So I can see Leeds getting something there. I can see them getting something against Spurs. Anyone can get something at Spurs at any time. So I think that, I don't know. I don't know. I agree it's two from three. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, gun to head, who are you saying staying up? Uh, my, I think Leeds are going to pull it out. And I think that the odd one out is actually going to be Everton. Because Wolves are just one of those teams that I don't think are going to roll over. will make it very difficult for Everton. And then you, said Forrest, you said Forrest at the start of this. So you've changed from Forest to Leeds? Oh, no, no. Sorry, I said Forest are very much on the edge of things, but I think they are fine. Oh. I think Leicester are going to be shot. I can't see them mm. picking anything up against the Liverpool. Then they've got Newcastle. That's not going to help. And even though they've got West Ham on the last day. So West Ham, I guess, are like 
What's what's the opposite of kingmakers? The 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 jester providers? Court jester, yeah. I reckon court jester. Pathetic but, little slug begging I for mean, attention. I mean, Lester have been Lester have been just meandering around looking like they've been relegated for, for, for months already. Um I think that Leeds will just pip Everton and Leeds will have a bit of a rally. Everton will just slowly sink into the quagmire. So and, you're going uh, Southampton, Leicester, Leicester Everton, Everton, all going down. Wow. How about you? Um, I mean, Southampton, yeah, I think they're going to... You think they're down? down. You, think, you think they might be down? Yeah, confirmed down, and I'm going to agree with that, that yes, they are down. Uh, Leicester as well, unless they pick up something at Liverpool tonight, which I don't think they will. <sighs> I just don't know. I'm going to go same as you, sod it. I'll say Forrest is going to stay up despite being a Derby fan. All right, let's go with that. That's all we've got time for anyway. Gareth, thanks for joining me. We'll be back same time next week in our penultimate episode of Whistleblowers. See you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.